Please turn in the living word of God to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is God's inerrant word. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Father in heaven, we do come now as your children by faith, so that we might grow in faith, and we desire to have hearts which honor you by our obedience to your word, our teachability. And O oh Lord, fill us with your spirit now and open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things in your precious word in this part of your revelation. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, obviously, I'm excited about bringing this sermon to you since I came up a little early to do so. But I've been meditating on this for a while, and we're going to talk a little bit this morning about rocks and stones and foundations and buildings and walls, things like that. Several weeks ago, and this was in my mind because several weeks ago, uh, my boys and I, my five boys and Ashton, so I had six of us there, six of them and me, uh, we bought a, a load of rock for our lane. Most of you who have been to our lane noticed it was washed out. So we bought four tons of rock. And, you know, I couldn't really picture, but when he delivered it, he dumped it, and I thought, wow, that's four tons. It didn't look that big, but, I, you know, it wasn't going to be moved by me at one time anyway. And so there's four tons of rock, but they're all one-inch, one-inch rocks, a big pile of one-inch rocks. I don't know how many millions are in that pile. Now, moving four tons is, is pretty hard, I think, right? Moving four tons is hard. Uh, even in small quantities, for an old guy like me anyway, uh, shovel by shovel, it was hard enough. Uh, but I had good helpers, and uh, we just moved it a short distance. It wasn't like we moved it like uh, they did, that I'll mention here in a minute, about how far they had to move the rocks to build the temple, and huge rocks. Um, so our job wasn't impressive, but we got it done by the grace of God. So I was thinking about rocks lately. That isn't why I picked this. Uh, I was, the Lord led me to this some months ago, and I've been meditating on it. Uh, but in Mark uh, chapter 13, the apostles were with the Lord, and they came out of the temple, and uh, they looked up at the temple, and the stones, they're huge, they're beautiful, the temple's beautiful, and it says in Mark 13, 1, as Jesus went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. You know, they were in awe of the size of this place, and it'd be kind of like us, I think, if we grew up in 
mud huts or something, and somebody brought us and put us down at the base of the Sears Tower, and we looked up. Uh, it'd be almost incomprehensible. You know, how did this get built? And uh, you know, it'd be an amazing experience. And the disciples, of course, and most people who saw the temple, uh, Herod's temple, especially if they uh, didn't live in Jerusalem, were amazed by it, and by its size and the way it was built and its beauty. Uh, and it, to them, it appeared eternal. This place is not going anywhere. Uh, the foundation stones are massive. And uh, so they were shocked, of course, when the, the Lord said to them, well, not one stone is going to be left on top of another here. Uh, they would all be thrown down. So the people then had a lot of security in this place, in this building, a lot of identity in it, in the temple. And they just could not imagine that being destroyed. And that temple was not the one built by Solomon. That was, uh, but it was still beautiful. It was still an amazing uh, building. Now regarding the, the original temple, though, that was built by Solomon in 1 Kings 5, it says, King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel. And the labor force was 30,000 men, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. So there's a continual uh, cycle of uh, a large number of people uh, going there. And then it goes on a little later. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens. 70,000 men just carried burdens. And 80,000 men who quarried stone in the mountains. 80,000 men were cutting these huge stones for this uh, building. Uh, besides 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. So they were the foremen. They kind of kept the work going. And it says, the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. The size of this, the, the scope of this task is just huge. It's hard for us to even imagine. You know, they didn't have Microsoft uh, whatever that program is that helps you develop that. They didn't have anything like that. Oh, project management software. Uh, and so it took them a long time and many, many men to build this. And many of the passages that come later in First King, em Kings emphasizes the laying of the foundation especially because uh, a good foundation, of course, was necessary for a large stone structure like they were planning to build. It used very large stones. So to this day, on the western wall of the Temple Mount, there is one huge foundation stone. Uh, it's probably not the original. It's worn, uh, but it's still a testimony to the size of the original stones. Uh, the stone, that stone, they say, is estimated to be 500 tons. I don't know. I can't picture that. 500 tons, one stone. Uh, so, and there was no machinery. The, the, the things that I read online, it said no machinery we even have now can pick up a 500-ton stone and move it around, and they moved it a number of of miles there. So that rock is not going anywhere. Uh, it will stay there a long time. It will support a lot, although it's not now, but it could support a lot. Solomon, the son of David, uh, built a house for God. You know, his father David prepared many things for him to do so. Uh, so Solomon uh, built a, a marvelous building. But something better, a better temple was coming. And I'm not talking about Herod's. There was another son of David, the Lord Jesus, who has built God's spiritual house and is its foundation. Solomon's temple was destroyed. The other temple, the church, will never be destroyed. It will last forever. Uh, so Jesus is 
uh, like, in a sense, that 500-ton stone compared to us as those little rocks uh, that I had, uh, only much more so in terms of strength and being the only sure foundation. And yet, when built on him, built on him as our foundation, uh, we are a mighty building and an eternal one, in, an indestructible one. And that should comfort us in trials when we feel small or insignificant. And there are, we are with many other rocks on the same huge and eternal foundation. We're together. And as rocks somewhere in that building, we support some and we are supported by others. In this letter, Peter was speaking to a suffering church. They were undergoing great persecution. And uh, he wanted them to understand what their unshakable foundation was. They had an unshakable foundation. And he wanted them also to understand how precious they were as part of the, the temple, the building, the, the church. He wanted them to know how precious uh, they were. They were chosen stones as part of the church. And because of this sure foundation that we have in the Lord Jesus uh, and in this building, uh, this church that we are a part of, we, we also have an amazing calling. So this morning, I'm just going to look at three uh, basic points. First of all, uh, we're going to talk about our sure foundation. Secondly, we're going to talk about, uh, in other words, we're going to talk about who Jesus is. And then we're going to talk about who we are and remind ourselves of who we are. And then we will uh, finish with talking about, given that, given who Jesus is as our foundation, given who we are as precious chosen stones, uh, what is our calling? What are we to do? So beginning, first of all, uh, appropriately, we should start talking about foundations. Uh, that's where a building, uh, in, in the end, will rise, stand or fall, given the quality of its foundation, without which a building will eventually fall and will not be a lasting building. Jesus is the living stone. In verse 4 it says, we are to come to him, to a living stone, as to a living stone. He is the source of our life, and he is our only foundation. In the Song of Moses, it's in Deuteronomy 32. Uh, the Lord is called our rock a number of times. Um, in, for example, in verse 4 it says, He is the rock, his work is perfect. And then a number of other times it talks about that. He is called in a number of places in the Old Testament. Uh, he is the rock of our salvation. We said that today in our readings. Uh, and in Psalm 32 we said, Come, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We read that uh, together this morning. And the meaning of that is that the Lord is the foundation. He is the surety. He is the confidence and the only confidence we have in our salvation. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other sure footing. Uh, there's no other stability. In Isaiah 33, uh, verse 6, uh, it says, He will be the sure foundation for your times. And in the NIV, it says, He, he is the sure uh, stability of your times. He is our only stability. There's the times are very unstable, uh, but he, it says he will be the stability of your times. There is no stability in anyone else, anywhere else. In David's uh, song in 2 Samuel 22, which is also uh, Proverbs, uh, Psalm 18, it says, the Lord is my rock. So David realized his only foundation. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust. For, and then later on he says, for who is God except the Lord and who is a rock except our God. And later on, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. So David cried out in Psalm 61 also, when my heart is overwhelmed, 
lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It was a prayer. And his heart was overwhelmed a number of times. And so he said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He is our rock of salvation. And we must come to him. And when we are overwhelmed, and when our heart is overwhelmed, when we feel the waters of trial are uh, overwhelming us or beyond us, it is then uh, that we especially must remember who is our rock? Who will not move? Who is much higher than any water that will ever surround me? And those who reject him have no stability. They have no sure foundation. There's no hope of surviving for them. Whatever they rely on will be washed away. And I was reminded of the chorus uh, of, of, uh, of the hymn, My Hope is Built. I guess my hope is built on nothing less. The chorus says, On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And we know from the Lord's parable in Matthew 7 that if you are founded on the rock, it means you are practicing his word. You are doing it. You're obeying it. And in that, in Matthew 7, it says, Therefore, the Lord Jesus was giving this parable, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now the contrast. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So those times that you feel that you are being overwhelmed and these uh, storms are beating against you are the times to put the promises of God into action. You to claim them and live by them and rest on Jesus, who is your sure foundation. He is the living stone we must come to and we must come to his word. Well, secondly, he, uh, Jesus is chosen by God. He is elect and he is precious to God. Now, this word precious means honored. It means uh, prized, highly prized, highly esteemed, and very dear, very dear. And I would ask this morning, we should all ask each other, uh, ourselves and each other, is he becoming more dear to you? Is he precious beyond all else, anything you can think of? And is he becoming more so? Matthew Henry said he's precious in he said it in three ways. Matthew Henry said, He is precious in the excellence of his nature, in the dignity of his office, and in the glory of his services, his actions. So he is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is the Lord. He's our Master. And then he's also our prophet, priest, and king. In his offices, he is also uh, precious. And as our rock, he is invincible. He has invincible strength and he endures forever. He is our precious foundation and he is glorious. Well, going on in the text, verse six says, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So, for all people, Jesus is either a precious foundation to them or he is a stumbling block and a rock of offense. 
He is the huge stone, if you will, in the path that all will encounter. He lies in the road, and people will come to him, bump into him, trip over him, uh, or they will rejoice that there is such a foundation. They can rest in him. And for the church, it's very clear. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he is our foundation, and we must reckon on that and not think that we can exist um, or function independently, either individually or as a body or as a church. Uh, we cannot think that way, and so we must come to him uh, individually and as a church here as a living stone and as uh, we will see, be a part, an active part of his building, the building process. We must come to him in recognizing that he is our only foundation and we are supported by him and through him then by uh, the church he is building. Uh, if you would turn with me to one of the major cross-references uh, re related to uh, our building, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning in verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he's speaking of the household of God, the church of the living God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So this building, this church, is built on the chief cornerstone. There are other cornerstones, obviously, usually four, but uh, he is the chief cornerstone. That is the one uh, upon which every line, every measurement came from. If that building was uh, true and right in every possible way, it was because that stone uh, was. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then it says, in whom the whole building being fitted together, we are being fitted together, uh, we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom uh, you, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And any given day that you, that we do not consciously recognize him as our foundation or come to him makes us a, weak, a weaker part of the building and maybe makes us think, you know, we can effectively do our support part in this building by ourselves. And in a way, really, each stone, each uh, individual stone, church, uh, is and must be connected to the chief cornerstone. We are all to rest on that foundation uh, to trust in him to uphold you. Charles Spurgeon said, when a house is finished, now you remember back then, a lot of those were built with bricks, the foundations were brick or stone. He said, when a house is finished, there still goes on a measure of settlement. Every day the stone is brought by its own weight a little closer to the foundation. And then he ends essentially in a prayer. May every day's pressure bring you and me closer to Jesus. Oh, that the pressure of our joys and our griefs press us near to our Lord, to our foundation. Well, in verse 7 it says, even the builders, the builders... Uh, the Jewish leaders who should have accepted him, who should have understood who he was, rejected him as the cornerstone. It says, but to those who were, are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word with, to which they also were appointed. They were disobedient to the word of God and to which they were also appointed. Uh, Luke 20 says, Jesus was speaking to the Jewish leaders, and Jesus was speaking there and, and said, what then is this that is written? He's asking him a question. This is a hard one for them, I think. He said, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? He was asking him. And then he went on to say, because they didn't say much, whoever falls on that stone, he's speaking of himself, uh, will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So rejecting the sure foundation in Jesus Christ is to be broken and possibly eventually crushed like being ground to powder. And as I thought about this, the Tower of Babel came to mind. And it seems to be a clear example of what happens when a people reject the Lord as their foundation and they reject his law and they try to build on their own foundation and it falls. In Romans 9, uh, it speaks more clearly about how the Jews stumbled, uh, the Jewish leaders and many of the Jews stumbled. It says, because they did not seek it, that is salvation and justification, they did not seek uh, righteousness by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. So they were trying to make a different kind of foundation here. It wasn't going to work. Uh, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They stumbled when Jesus came. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That building will not come down. They will not be disappointed. So they stumbled over justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Many still do. But it says they were appointed to disobedience. While the Lord's precious stones, which he calls us, the Lord's precious stones were appointed to salvation. They were appointed to disobedience. We are appointed to salvation. In Acts 13, verse 48, Paul was uh, preaching to the Jews in Antioch, uh, and many Jews and Jewish leaders there, uh, they, were, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They stumbled over the cornerstone. But of the Lord's precious chosen stones, Paul said in, in Acts 13, 48, great verse, short, good one on uh, on election, it says, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So judgment on unbelief is as divinely appointed as the way of salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus. And Rodney shared this morning, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, that your fruit would abide and remain. And we'll talk a little bit about that fruit in a, in a minute. And so, as living stones, we are to come to Jesus to remember who he is, our precious cornerstone, chosen by God as our foundation. Well, secondly, we are to remember who we are. So we really must remember who our foundation is, and then we need to be remember, remembering who we are. We are his people. We are living stones built on him to make a spiritual temple. So, you are a brick. You are a stone somewhere in this building. And uh, you are supported by some bricks and you are supporting other bricks. And uh, in verse 5 it says, you also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So there's an ongoing construction here. You are being built up, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And by spiritual house here, he means that his chosen sanctuary is now his people. The non-physical church of the living God replaced the material temple, which was awesome, but uh, that was replaced. And this building, the people of God, cannot be torn down, which was good news uh, for the uh, people who received this letter 
uh, it was very comforting to them. It says in uh, chapter 1, First uh, Peter 1, the first verse, it says, th- this is to whom the letter was written, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Again, they were chosen precious stones. And not only are we his temple, his building, we are also those who serve in that temple. We are his priests. And one of the great blessings of the Protestant Reformation was an understanding of the priesthood of all believers. Well, in verse 6 it says, He who believes on him in Jesus will by no means be put to shame. You, you will not be disappointed, will not be confounded, will not fall like the house built on sand. We are those who can have hope in the promises of God and never be disappointed in him. Our foundation is sure it will never fail. Well, in verse 7 it says, uh, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. To you who believe, he is precious. So we are those, we are defined, in a sense, as being those for whom Jesus is precious. Be one way you could define us as Christians. Who are you? Well, you know, I'm a Christian. Jesus is precious to me. He is our treasure, as I mentioned in several months ago in Proverbs 2. Jesus is our treasure. He is dear to us. He is precious. And we are set apart as those whose eyes have been opened by the work of the Holy Spirit to how precious our Lord Jesus is. And it should be clear to others, uh, others here, others wherever we are, that the Lord Jesus is precious to us beyond anything else. And to others, he's an offense, uh, to those uh, appointed to reject him. Uh, And we don't know who those are, uh, so we are called to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of light. And I'll mention that in just a minute. Then in verse 9, it says, But you, and it's a very strong contrast here, you are not those who stumble, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are. And each of these four characteristics are from the Old Testament. And really, they're only, it's one, it's one. There are four uh, delineations of that. But these positions are really one position. And it's describing, or by transferring the titles of Israel uh, in the Old Testament to the church. So uh, chosen people is from Isaiah, mostly. Royal priesthood and holy nation is in Exodus, And God's own people is from Isaiah again. And are referring to uh, the corporate body, the corporate unity of the church. And so, moving on, we are chosen by God. We are elect. We are, uh, like the verse in Acts 13, we we have been appointed. And we are a chosen generation, an elect race, if you will, people. We are chosen stones. And the building of God is not built by random stones, but by chosen stones. Each stone on the foundation was chosen and determined to be a part of that building and to function as support in various ways, to build up the body of Christ, to use our gifts to build up that body. In Ephesians 1, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and uh, without blame before Him in love. So we were chosen as a precious chosen stone before the foundation of the world. Well, moving on, we are also part of a royal priesthood. So we are a part of a priesthood and we are, it says in another part of this, that we are a holy priesthood. We have been set apart. We have been consecrated to offer up living sacrifices and worship to our God. And because we are royal priesthood, we are a royal priesthood, we belong to a king. We are priests in service to our king. And we have a role in coming near to him and in serving in his presence. 
And we heard recently, well, maybe a few months ago, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. The Lord Jesus, who loved us, and because we have been washed in his blood, we have been made kings and priests uh, to our God and Father. So we share by his grace in his kingship and dominion activities as well as in his priesthood. We are not only the stones that form the temple or the building, but also the priesthood that serves in it. We are a holy priesthood, consecrated, separated for his service. In Acts 19, Moses was on Mount Sinai and God said to him uh, to tell the people, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you, will, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then lastly, we make up a holy nation. We are one body. We are a holy people. But lastly, we are God's own special people. In the King James Version, it uses the word peculiar. And we are, so we are special to God. And this, uh, Peter is not saying that Christians are odd or unusual people. We are set apart. Uh, even the world looks at us maybe that way. But what this passage is communicating is that Christians or believers are people who belong to God. They are his own possession. Another way of saying it would be we belong exclusively to him. And so we must remember who we are. Uh, like the Lord, we are also precious and chosen. Same words are using, used uh, for us. He is the precious chosen stone. We are precious chosen stones. Well, moving on, because of who we are, because we are precious and chosen stones in this building, we must remember our calling. What is our part in this building? Uh, as, as part of that, we have a purpose in this priesthood we're, we're a part of. And basically, there are two of those. Uh, first of all, in verse 5, uh, we, are spirit, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's one of our responsibilities, one of our joys, uh, is to bring sacrifices acceptable to him. Secondly, uh, the second one would be uh, we are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light in verse 9. But first of all, our sacrifices uh, are made acceptable only through Jesus Christ. So we bring them in his name because of what he has done through his merits, not for any gain. Uh, you can't gain salvation, uh, but to express our praise and our adoration of our king, of our high priest. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship to me. And the book of Hebrews helps us learn what this means a little more, where it talks about the better sacrifice made by the Lord for us. It replaced the animal sacrifices. And now about our sacrifices of obedience and praise in our worship, even this morning. Hebrews 11, verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Well, what was that? It was an acceptable sacrifice of obedience because it, came, it was given in faith. And our sacrifices made by faith in Jesus are acceptable to him. And as the priest uh, also had to be clothed in a very special way uh, back then, uh, the scriptures made it very clear uh, what they were to wear. Uh, we also... Uh, come clothed in Christ's righteousness alone when we bring these sacrifices and these offerings to him. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, By him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. 
That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So one sacrifice each Lord's Day is to worship him with our mouths and with our singing and as we read the word together. So the, the fruit of our lips should be a, a sacrifice to him. And then uh, in that same uh, section in Hebrews 13, it says, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So also our actions of faith, sharing and doing good. And so as members of his priesthood, we are to worship him in every possible way, in our thoughts, words, and actions. And our sacrifices are acceptable to God because they're essentially part of Christ's sacrifice. Well, second, uh, our second task as uh, members in this priesthood is uh, verse 9 says to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Romans 15, Paul knew this very clearly. This is what Paul said. He understood. He said, he, God, gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Paul knew it very clearly. We should know it clearly that we have the duty to proclaim the gospel of God. And then it goes on in verse, uh, this is Romans 15, 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So we have that same priestly duty and then those who hear by the grace of God and repent and believe uh, become more acceptable sacrifices uh, to bring before him. So, what are we to proclaim? First of all, we are to proclaim the gospel. We are to proclaim uh, that he called us, he chose us out of darkness, and that he is still calling people through us to turn from darkness. And Rodney was sharing about the hospital <coughs> this morning and how it's kind of a dark place. And there is uh, Tabitha, uh, a light there, uh, and we are to proclaim in every way we can that it is possible. The Lord is calling people out of that dark kingdom into the kingdom of light. Um, to live in, in darkness gives no hope. In the parable of the wedding feast, the Lord said of those not invited to the feast, take him away, take them away, cast him into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as his children called out of darkness, we are now to proclaim his salvation and redemption and hope uh, to those who are in darkness. They're all around us, and they need to know that there is another kingdom. There's a kingdom of light. And uh, secondly, as those whom he chose to live with him in his marvelous light, we are to proclaim that he is still calling people into that light. He's calling them out of that darkness into this marvelous light, into the kingdom of light. So as children called into his light, who have been illumined, uh, who have his light has been shown into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are now to proclaim his holiness and his kingdom of light and, and hope. And that there is hope and, and a way to see. There is a way to see. There is a way to move forward in this kingdom. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And as children of light, we should speak of the kingdom of light. 2 Corinthians 4 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit has shown into our hearts the light uh, and gave us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And Jesus is our light. He is the light of the world. He is uh, the light of the kingdom. And we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And we are also to proclaim him to a world in darkness. Well, then moving on in verse 10, it says, we are those whom he chose as his people. 
as part of his family. So we are to proclaim his kindness in that he would choose anybody, any sinner, to be special to him, to be his people, to be in his family. R.C. Sproul put it this way, I like his, his quote. The question is not, why is there only one way to God, but why is there even one way? And the Gentile Christians back then, uh, you know, I, they must have been amazed. Were his people? You know, they didn't know what it meant to be a people because uh, they didn't understand what it meant to be a covenant people of God like the people of Israel. But the people of Israel uh, were unfaithful to that family covenant. Uh, but these people uh, that I mentioned earlier in the dispersion, uh, they were told, you are God's special people. And until hearing the gospel and believing it, they didn't know what it was apart to be a people. Maybe a culture, maybe, but not a people. Certainly not the people of God. But here they're encouraged to know this. And so are we. We must, I think, often think of who we are. Think of who he is and who we are to go forward to do what we are called to do. Hosea 2 says, uh, the Lord says, I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. And so we're reminded of this every week. We come here to worship. We basically are saying the same thing. We're saying, uh, God is saying to us, you are my people. And we are saying in joy, you are my God. Matthew Henry put it pretty strongly, I thought. Uh, he said, the people of God are the most valuable people in the world. The rest are not a people, good for little. Well, last, uh, I'd like to talk about uh, God's mercy a little bit. We are those who God chose to obtain mercy. We have obtained mercy, and God chose that to be so. And so, as those who have obtained mercy and know his mercy uh, through the sacrifice and the atonement of the Lord Jesus on the cross, we are now to proclaim his mercy and forgiveness to all who will repent of their sin and by faith come to him as their only foundation. And for a suffering church, back then and now, uh, knowing that they are elect and, and part of the people of God is a great comfort. And they, back then, were able to uh, testify of the mercy of God to a world uh, who knows little of mercy. And we are also called to do the same. Well, to conclude, in Acts chapter 9, Paul was walking on the Damascus Road. You're all aware of that story, that uh, time. So he's walking on the road to persecute Christians. And it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, that is Paul, said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, that is Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Two questions, all he asked. And I think... We can ask the same two questions each day when we have our devotional time with the Lord. First of all, who are you, Lord? We should be asking, uh, we should continually be learning more of who our precious Savior is, more of his wonderful attributes, more of his character, more of who he is. And uh, this morning, I guess we focused um, a lot about his, that he is our foundation, he is our rock. And because he is our Lord and we are his people, we should then ask daily the same thing. It's a natural result is to ask the second question, what should I do, Lord? Who are you, Lord? When we know who he is, this the obvious second question is, what should I do, Lord? We should ask ourselves that given day during our quiet time, uh, what would you have me do today, given what I've just learned, or however he would lead you, 
we should daily submit to his will. And we saw this morning that we are, we are to do two things, at least, that we saw this morning. We are to offer sacrifices acceptable to him, and we are to proclaim his praises in those ways that we mentioned, that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So brothers and sisters in Christ, remember who he is, God's precious chosen stone, the rock of our salvation, and come to him. Come to him. He is your foundation. Remember who you are. You are God's precious chosen stones, and you are a vital part of his building, his special people. And remember your calling to offer spiritual sacrifices and to proclaim his praises. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are your grateful people, chosen stones for your temple and precious to you because you are a God of grace. We praise you for calling us to be a part of your priesthood and that we can offer acceptable sacrifices to you through Jesus Christ, our sure foundation. And oh, that we would joyfully proclaim your praises, you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, help us to daily remember who you are and grow in an understanding of how precious you are, Lord Jesus, how precious your blood is that was shed for us and that we would worship you. Lord, help us to remember who we are and to proclaim you. You are precious and we do love you. And we come as your living stones to rest on our eternal foundation. And we pray and we go forward to serve you now in the name of Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.